Hi, welcome back to Just Ask the Question, our Sunday edition. This is Brian Karam, your host. With us today, of course, is former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin and uh, editor-at-large CQ Roll to Call, John Bennett. Stick around. Today, we've got a lot to talk about. We'll be right back. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast. Hi, it's Just Ask the Question. I am Brian Karam and joining us again, Michael Zeldin and John Bennett to talk about the news of the week. And I want to start out with something. <laughs> kind of fun actually but john you pointed it out i was in the briefing and and fell asleep but <laughs> you were at home and watched it and i i guess the uh <clears throat> the, the briefing this week i what was it wednesday thursday where it looked like the white house proposed a carve out on the filibuster to pass an assault weapons ban did you you caught that i I caught it, but then I had to go to the I had to go transcript diving the next day um, because I I joined the briefing in progress. And I joined it in progress, and I was there. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> I yeah, I joined it in progress, and uh, Corinne Jean Pierre, the White House press secretary, was um, was asked, and I kind of came in in the middle of the question and was doing other things, but I did catch that she said, you know, we'll have at the time. We'll have 51 Democratic senators. Now it's I think they're going to have 50 and a half with uh, Senator Cinema leaving the Democratic Party. But, you know, she's voted with with the president, President Biden. Like 95 the, the time. Yeah. So anyway, at the time, uh, KJP says uh, it'll be easier for the Senate to pass an assault weapons ban bill because we'll have 51 senators. It didn't register with me at the time. It certainly didn't register with any reporter in the room at the time. And it was quick. Most of us were somnambulant, but go ahead. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's another issue, I guess. Um, so I, 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 and so I was asking myself and, 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 and asked a couple of sources, like, what could she be talking about here? And we all, we all kind of came to the conclusion on Thursday, wait a second, um, you know they can change the Senate rules with a simple majority vote, and you can you can drop the filibuster. Don't don't ever let anyone tell you that the Senate can't do this or can't do that. They can do whatever the hell they want, basically, if they have the votes. Right. So they can change the rules one time um, for this legislation, something codifying federal abortion protections, 
and still have the filibuster later that afternoon when they vote on a spending bill. Still right. the 60 vote threshold, but they can waive it for one bill. That seems to be what she was she was suggesting that that the president could get behind that idea. Now, Chuck Schumer and other Democrats have not gone that far. Uh, they could have done that already in this Congress. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, maybe they would have gotten Cinema and Joe Manchin. Um, so so that's a, appears to be that they floated that out there. Now, I do think it's hard to get Cinema. She's setting herself up to be a real wild card. Not that, that she already that, is a wild card. Right. <laughs> but, you know, she's 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 setting herself up to be um, an identified wild card. Yeah, not the a Joe Manchin of the 118th Congress. Yeah. So, well, it, well, the reason why I ask this, it, it not to, but it. Yeah. Do you think? And and here's where I'm going with it. And Michael, pop in if you you know as well. But. Do you think that in the Senate or the House, they'll be able to carve out an exception to pass either uh, to, to uh, codify Roe or assault weapons bill before the end of the year? I, I don't no. think that it's possible. Do it's you? not possible. No, they yeah. want to go home this week. They want to solve the spending question. Um, once they can get a spending agreement, then they'll talk about what maybe to do about the debt ceiling this week or next week. And they want to be out of here Friday if they can. More likely they're back next week, but there's no floor time. There's no time to do all of this. You got to change the rule. You got to write a bill. You got to vet it. You got to rewrite it. You got to give somebody something. You got to do all this horse trading. They have to do that on the spending bill. That's going to eat up all the oxygen. So no, that that is not happening this week or next yeah. week. That's that's where I was going with it. But my, yeah. my, I'm going to I'm going to switch gears and ask you about the refusal to hold Donald Trump in contempt. Yeah. Washington, <clears throat> uh, in Washington, the court decided basically the judge does not hold Trump office in contempt of court, despite a DOJ request for it. So a federal judge didn't grant a Justice Department request to hold the office of former President Donald Trump in contempt of court of a grand jury subpoena. How serious is that to efforts to bring trump to justice it's irrelevant honestly really what, what this was about was the desire of the justice department to almost in a, as if it was a civil lawsuit force the judge to get the trump office to certify that there are no additional documents that's not really relevant to did he obstruct justice um in the run-up to all of this, this is just an effort to say, is there anything else? And the judge said to them, essentially, look, you should be able to work this out. This is essentially a president, Presidential Records Act dispute. And I expect you guys to work it out. And I expect, she also said, however, if you can't come back and see me. So I think it was sort of a shot across the bow to the both both of the parties saying this should be a negotiable um, resolution. You, the president's office, should comply with the Presidential Records Act and give over everything which is a public record. And you, the Justice Department, should find a way to feel confident that that has been the case. And so I'm sending you on your way without anyone being held in contempt. If it doesn't work out, I expect the Justice Department will come back and say, as much as we've tried to ask them to appoint a custodian of records who will certify under oath 
that there is nothing there to be returned. We can't get them to do that. And Donald Trump is the sort of default custodian of records under the act, um, and he won't do it. So judge, what are we to do here? And then the judge might say, all right, I gave you guys a chance to work it out. You didn't work it out. And here's my resolution of the matter. But all of this is about getting records back. It doesn't, uh, I mean, it's related to, but it's not directly on the point of, was the taking of these documents, was the hiding of these documents obstruction or a violation of the Espionage Act or other uh, laws that uh, gave rise to the search warrant. Now, of course, if the Justice Department has probable cause to believe that there are still missing documents at Mar-a-Lago that aren't already, or Benster or New York or any other Trump um, property, a storage locker, if they have probable cause to believe that- In his booth there is, bathroom. <laughs> if they have probable cause to believe that there are documents that are still missing, they can go back to the court <clears throat> and get another search warrant. So they apparently didn't do that. They may have probable cause, but they didn't um, tip their hand as to that. And so we'll see. So, Brian, I think it's in Trump world spun as a victory, but it really is not a victory on the substance of is there an indictable offense uh, to be had in this case? It's really a records keeping dispute in my estimation. There's one thing that was said, and John, I'll get your take on this as well, and Michael, yours. A Trump spokesman, an unidentified, I love it, now Now Trump spokesmen's are, uh, spokespeople are unidentified. This is from CNBC. Quote, if the Department of Justice can go after President Trump, they will surely come after any American <laughs> who they disagree with. Well, in my world, isn't that called... Yeah, no one's above the law. I mean, basically, aren't they just restating it, but trying to trying to give Trump as if he has some special ability and thus translatable special ability for all of us to avoid prosecution. John, that's that's a line that he uses at rallies. Yes, he um, does. But it's it doesn't get a big pop, as they say in the professional wrestling world. It doesn't pop. It's tepid. The applause. I don't I don't think even his most uh obsessed or or loyal followers believe that the Justice Department's gonna kick their doors down in, you know, rural rural Alabama or North Carolina or somewhere like that. You know, don't 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 break the law and you're you're pretty you're you're pretty in the clear there. Yeah, um, right. But it is it is it is part of how he um manipulates people and says that you know the movement is about them the MAGA movement it's we know what it's about it's about lining his pockets yeah but Michael isn't that I mean in essence isn't, aren't we just saying no one's above the law <laughs> well if you dissect the sentence they're saying if you can come after a former president for violating the espionage act or um, obstruction of justice statutes they can come after you too if you do the same thing. And the answer is yes. <laughs> they, they can they can do that. Right. Don't you be know, it's like, uh, Yeah. Uh, what am I what am I what am I missing here? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you're, gonna exactly. teach, you're gonna have to teach this in high school civics class. Don't do sedition. 
Yeah, let's, <laughs> if you don't break the law. <laughs> right. If you don't speed, they're probably not going <laughs> to pull you over. Yeah, right. right. That's, I well, just, except, I, if, I, except if you meet certain demographic criteria. Then uh-huh. you might get yeah, <laughs> but every right. time I hear that sentence, it's like, it, is it me? <laughs> you dissect the sentence and you're, you're absolutely right. One of the last. Yeah, you get it if it's, if it's reversed. If they can come after a Midwestern farmer for espionage, they probably could also come after a former president. Yeah. <laughs> yes, they can. That's and they have. Uh, I, I want to while we're on the subject of communication. Uh, I, I this week and and there's two things that happened in the White House press corps this week, and I, I'd love to hear from both of you on it. One was. Uh, and I couldn't believe it. I was there. Um, I was there, and at the end of a briefing, at the end of the day, with all the news that went on in the day, with all the stuff that we've talked about, just some of the stuff we talked about here, and and not even all of it. We haven't touched on Ukraine or or any of the other big news items across the globe. What was on the minds of of White House reporters after the briefing on Wednesday or Thursday? It was. Why didn't I get an invitation to the White House Christmas party? And I, I just, I, I, I sit there, and after thirty-five years of covering this kind of stuff, it just floors me that it seems like reporters don't get that most people don't even get a chance to go to the White House, so they're going to find very little um, in common with those who. Th- are upset because they didn't get an invitation to a party at the White House. And at the end of the day, it's a party. Just do your damn job. And it just seems like we've fallen on very different times from, and speaking to some of the older reporters there, not not me, but, you know, some of the even older, like Tom DeFranks and, and you know, John, you know, I talked about it. It's like we've forgotten why we're there. I don't think there's ever been a bigger distance between our audience and the reporters in the white house michael from one outside i'll let you take the first shot at that well having gone to the white house christmas party a couple of times my over my my overall reaction having gone is and having stood online to wait to get through security is why did i come So, you know, it, it, it sounds it sounds wonderful to have been invited and I was honored to be invited. But my goodness, it was people searching the room for somebody more important to talk to than you, then standing on a long line to get your picture taken um, with with the president and, you know, ushered away immediately. No real time to have meaningful conversations uh, with anybody except for the people who you already know and have meaningful conversations with anyway. So, uh, you know, there is this notion, it seems to me, uh, in the in the press that it, you need to be a celebrity. You need to be part of the story, too. And that, I think, is is problematic, as we've talked about before. It was at one point, it seems to me, that there was a uh, a reluctance to be part of the story, to part be part of the in crowd. It's hard to cover people you have a personal association with objectively, um, but that seems to have uh, broken down. 
and you know TV, especially TV reporters, uh, want to be seen um, as part of the um, in crowd, and I think that's unfortunate. Yeah, John, it's it's very clubby uh, covering the White House. Uh, full disclosure, I've gotten lost in the uh, Christmas party invite hoopla and, and drama uh, myself. Um, not proud of that, but it, it certainly did happen. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. It's, you know, it, it's it's something what of you a... You mean lost in it? You, you, you try, trying to wrangle an invite or... Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I guess my second year on the first year on the beat, I, I joined the beat in October. I didn't expect... Uh, to get an invitation but the next year um, I got something cryptic it was like I was waitlisted or something and then <laughs> I was pushed by other reporters you know you're here all the time and to go it was the Obama White House at the time and um, you know I was pushed to go push them to send me an invite and I I kind of talked my way onto the list and you know it was a couple days drama and people running up to me did you get on the list are you coming you know and it was just it always felt a little too clubby uh, for me. I went, I enjoyed myself. I had fun. Sure. I drank champagne in the white house. You know, I wouldn't have thought that when I was 19 years old. So it's cool to go, but there is too much hoopla around it. Uh, when Trump, when, when Trump stopped having the media Christmas party, a holiday party, um, I, I kind of liked it. I, I it, it gave us some separation from the people that we were covering. I like that. Uh, that, yeah, that, I do course, like COVID, that. Yeah, and of course, COVID um, played a big role in, in, I guess they were paused. I guess that's how I look at it. But um, yeah, it just, it. I think it is a distraction. And if you're there every day, it can distract from the work you're trying to do. And I certainly I, felt that. I, I take it as a, as a badge of honor that I, that both <clears throat> Trump and and Biden haven't invited me. I, I actually don't, I, I mean, I'm sure my wife would like to go, but I don't want to go. I, I, for all the reasons that Michael said and much more, I don't like the clubby and what you said, John, the idea is just do your damn job. The only time I really want a picture of me and the president is if I'm asking him a question in a press conference or if he's sitting down for a one-on-one -on -one interview. Other than that, the guy's a public servant. He works for me and I would much rather him just answer some questions about what he's doing. Mm -hmm. worry about where he's you know after all it's just another goddamn boring dc party to, to michael's point after a while you know you go to these parties and you end up gravitating to people that you know and like you said you've already had conversations with and then there's the other people that you can see them with their eyes looking around the room going are you important are you important can i talk to you can i oh i want to be seen with you or you know or you know there's always the poor guy sitting in the corner who's the copy editor from the new york post that nobody knows and he's sitting by himself and nobody's paying any attention to him. So I, 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 I am so over all that nonsense. I can't believe it, but one, and I, I, I can say the one, the one thing that I was upset with was not getting invited to the Hanukkah party. Yeah. <laughs> there was, a, there was, and I, thought, I didn't get an yeah. invite and that, that, um, I, I had, I had long sessions with my rabbi about why I wasn't on that list. <laughs> <laughs> now I'll, I'll close up this, uh, <laughs> this, uh, uh, segment with something I asked that just came down and that was, and I don't know if you got a chance to look at it, but the New York times went on a one day strike. <laughs> Two of the white house reporters, uh, Mike Shear and Peter, 
Baker, is that yeah, I think, uh, uh, cross the picket line. How do you now, now this I gotta ask because I I Joe Biden is a big union sympathizer. So the New York Times two White House reporters crossed a union picket line. I don't know how that plays in this White House. Also, I don't know how it plays in the rest of the world. I think you know one of them signed an agreement, signed a protest letter because union dues were going to be more for people who make more than one hundred forty thousand dollars a year, and they didn't like that. But uh, how does that come across, John, to you in covering the White House? You know, I I don't um, I don't have a strong for Biden. For Biden, yeah, I mean, here he is. What a union is I don't, I'm not. I'm not sure. I follow. Well, Biden is a huge union sympathizer. Don't you think sure. it would kind of put these two reporters uh, in Dutch with the president by crossing a picket line? He would have to talk to reporters regularly for for it to matter. And he doesn't do that. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't, you got a point there. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't see it having a big impact. Uh, those guys are are well sourced already. I don't think they need this to to be better sourced or, or have better ends uh, with the White House. You know, maybe Ron Klain or someone sent one of those guys an email and just checked in on them and see Wonder how if they're on going. the party list. I'm sure they were. <laughs> Michael, do you think it makes any difference? Well, I don't know the facts of this. I, I like Peter Baker a lot. I respect his. Reporting. I like them both a lot. I like yeah. Peter and Mike. They're both good guys. And so I, I just don't know what's at, at play. So I, I don't really have a point of view on this one, Brian. Yeah. Okay. I just want to, for the record, say that I think that uh, unionization is a good thing. And I, I'm sorry that they crossed the line, but I don't know, other than what I've read, what I know about it is that uh, they are both good reporters. And I tend to give them the benefit of the doubt when it comes to their reporting. So I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt on this. But I, as a whole, I, I I don't have never, my dad was a big union guy. And so I, you know, his idea of crossing the picket line would, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I didn't like what the results would be. <laughs> so he never did. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we'll talk about something we've already alluded to. Cinema's split from the Democrats. And what's that mean for the Senate? And can the Supreme Court abolish majority rule? Stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you, and we need your help. Seriously. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karen with me, John Bennett and Michael Zeldin. And Michael, I'll start out with the Supreme Court. There's a an article this week that came out that said, uh, will the far right enshrine minority rule and that the Constitution hangs by a thread because of a couple of pieces of legislation or a couple of pieces of contention in the uh, 
being heard at the Supreme Court, one about uh, uh, being able to overturn election results in state legislatures. So I'd like to get your thoughts, Ken. Is it possible for the Supreme Court to overturn majority rule? Well, you is wouldn't that an overstatement? Think, well, you wouldn't think that the um, legal theory that state legislatures can do what they decide to do without judicial review of their actions. That's essentially the, the argument. They call it the independent state legislature theories. And that's Moore and, versus Harper, for those who want to know. That's the case that was argued where North Carolina essentially said, we can, we the state legislature can draw our uh, gerrymandered maps any way we want to and and nobody can tell us otherwise not the federal government not the the state courts not the federal courts and and so that case was argued uh more v harper as you said to give that state legislature the independent power not subject to state court review or federal election law review from what i can read um the court didn't seem to take too kindly to the argument, but they say that a couple of judges, justices, um, Comey Barrett, Kavanaugh, and and a third, maybe Gorsuch, I can't remember, um, seemed uh, to to be skeptical of the argument, uh, and so that's good because I expect that the the um, three liberal justices are going to be skeptical of the argument because essentially. Um, it does away with uh, the balance of powers that make up the uh, triangle of, of, of authority in the United States, the legislative, executive, and judicial branch, each of them being um, sort of separate but uh, but equal. But that's the argument that has been put forth. Uh, I, as I say, I don't think um, it would... Uh, it should it should fly that the the court would give the legislature this exponentially greater amount of authority on matters such as well explain voting. Explain to me this way: if um, there was three of them, Gorsuch, Alito, and Thomas, who have made comments that some interpreted as sympathy for the uh, legislature's uh, you know uh, position. It involves, if I get this right, more involves a, a, a gerrymandered congressional map in North Carolina's Republican-controlled legislature. The state Supreme Court struck it down under the North Carolina Constitution. Republican legislators are now asking the Supreme Court to embrace this, uh, and 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 it's a rule that state courts have no say over legislative actions in federal election matters. Why should state courts? Let me play devil's advocate. Why should state courts have a say over legislative actions in federal election matters? Explain to me why it's a why what they're doing would tear you know the country apart. Well, we have a system by which the there are checks and balances, and in this case, the 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 state of North Carolina legislature drew up maps which were unconstitutional. They disenfranchised people in favor of, of their partisan um, pejorative, you know, uh, priorities rather. Um, 
and the court, the state court, this is all taking place within North Carolina, the state court said to the North Carolina legislature, what you did violates our constitution, our state constitution, a state court telling the state legislature, what you did goes too far. And the, and the court um, said, redraw it. The legislature essentially gave the middle finger to the court saying, you have no authority over us. We are independent um, of you. Well, that's not how the system was designed. It was designed so that legislative acts can be reviewed for their constitutionality by courts. And so if the Supreme Court says, yes, you're right, North Carolina state legislature, you are supreme in North Carolina when it comes to these matters, the Supreme, the state court and the state constitution have nothing to do with what you do. That just upends the entire triangle of separation of powers that we were built upon. And it would be a surprising result, but you don't know with this Supreme Court uh, how things will go. Yeah, no kidding. John, our our, our resident uh, Carolinian there, let's <laughs> take me home, country roads. <laughs> we'll do our best. Uh, the speaker <laughs> of the North Carolina House, uh, uh, Mr. Jimmy Moore, is actually from my hometown. So... Oh, you uh, think. Yeah, this is something that I've been I've been keeping an eye on. I mean, uh, Mr. Moore is as MAGA as they come, and uh, he's very conservative. You know, this is a this is obviously a big deal uh, down there, and it splits right along the lines that that you would expect. Um, and, and folks are folks are worried about it. More independent minded folks, um, and of course, Democrats down there are. Are, are really worried about it, but the precedent that it could set for other States is uh, it's not good. I don't think, you know, like Michael was saying, you know, checks and balances. That's, that's how the system was set up. And, and this would, would just torch that. And, you know, I'm sure there are other States that, that want to go next if this is upheld. Well, and I think the danger is if it's upheld, it will destroy. I, 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 I think it's a little, um, over the top to say that um, you know the mo- minority will rule definitively, but it does open the door for minority rule more than yeah. anything else that I've seen in my lifetime. And the frightening part of that is, you may be in the minority today, you could be in the majority tomorrow, you know, to you know, or you could be in the majority today and be in the minority tomorrow. But what it does is keep it. This would essentially keep. It would destroy the concepts of checks and balances and keep our government in constant chaos. I don't think there's any way around that if you look at the decision they're faced to make. So I don't know how any justice and good conscience and and obviously a better uh, um, education on, hopefully better education on constitutional issues than a layman such as myself, would would look at this and and rule in favor of destroying one of the basic tenets of of our uh, constitution, the checks and balances and a balance of power. But uh, hey, that's me. What do what do I know? Speaking that's of, a very, that's a very good question. Uh, maybe John and I can debate 
Yeah. What does Brian <laughs> Carroll do, know? What, what, what do I know? I don't know. It nothing, could, it could be a very short segment, though. Uh, hey, dude, I already know I know nothing. <laughs> yeah, it won't fill up a whole podcast. We can't oh, do an emergency pod later. It'll be about on. five minutes, I'm telling you, at the most. You well, know? I have a I have a, a slightly different take on, on some of these elections matters once they get to the Supreme Court. I know there's a lot of a lot of worry on the left and, and like I said, even more independent political types. Uh but I I don't think this court is is going to be as friendly to some of these things like what the North Carolina legislature wants to do. I think the Trump folks are going to be very disappointed with this Supreme Court. They think that, you know, they they, they put their it. people on the court. They they put their people on the court. So it's it's pedal to the metal. Let's get all this stuff. Let's try to propose it. Let's try to get it um, through the Supreme Court. I think they're going to reject a lot of it. In fact, I think they're going to reject just about all of it. I think I think what they're look the six conservative members of the Supreme Court are conservative Catholics, so there's no doubt that they were going to, when given a chance, overturn Roe v. Wade. That I don't think there was ever any doubt about that, mm-hmm. and that gave the MAGA supporters a great deal of hope that all the rest of their stuff will be uh, codified by the Supreme Court. But I agree with you. You look at some of these people and on the court and. They may not want you to have an abortion, but they still like checks and balances and they still right. like the right. Constitution. I think they're going to find themselves in a place they and, and there's also and Michael can probably speak to this better than both of us. But I've also noticed over the years that once you are freed up from the politics and you become a member of the Supreme Court, you tend to take a more broad view of of things of which was the goal by giving them a lifetime of yeah. was by you know to remove them from politics so they have a more of a uh, you know of a steward's role in the constitution so i don't think they'll be at all happy michael well i think that's been the history of supreme court judges that once they are on the court for life their aperture widens but i don't think we've seen that lately i think that the, the justices that have been put on the court because of the way they're vetted and, um, you know, sort of selected um, for specific points of view. We haven't seen too many. I mean, maybe Judge Justice Souter, maybe a little bit um, Sandra Day O'Connor, but you haven't seen, you haven't seen too many breaks from Alito or Thomas or even going back beyond that from the orthodoxy that got them on the court in the in the first place okay that one of the things that we have to talk about is uh we're we're talking about can the supreme court abolish majority rule but speaking of majority rule what about uh senator cinema splitting the democratic party you know there's been a lot of speculation about what this actually means for the senate uh john give me your take on it I'm not sure it's going to mean all that much right now for the Senate or or really in January when when the new Congress is seated. Um, the Democrats held on to control of the Senate. They added a seat. So from 50 right now to 51 on January uh, 3rd. But now I guess it's, you know, 50 and a half, maybe with uh, Senator Sinema going uh, independent, changed her party registration in Arizona. But, you know, she's still going to. To the extent she ever did, she's going to caucus with the Democrats. Uh, she's voted with the 
uh, Biden administration's position on legislation, something like 93, 95 percent of the time. Uh, so I'm not sure. You know, I know there's hopes on the right. There's hopes in the Republican Party that she might start voting with them more often. But she never has. And, and she's not saying that her values have changed. She's saying that she just doesn't agree with every little thing that the Democratic Party uh, does. She's also, however, going to get she's going to get she's going to have a Democratic challenger when she if she runs for reelection and a Republican challenger. She's made it harder to get reelected. And she's 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 pissed off everybody in the on the in the Democratic caucus. Bernie Sanders uh, was on TV this morning uh, criticizing her uh, pretty harshly. So, you know, she's not there to make friends. She's she's open about that. And she certainly hasn't made very many. Uh, but uh, I mean, it, it was an open question anyway, if Kristen Cinema would vote like we were talking about earlier for a filibuster carve out for abortion rights or for an assault weapons ban. That didn't change with this. The, that calculus didn't change with this. The arm twisting, the promise making that Chuck Schumer and Joe Biden would have to do for Senator Cinema, it's the same as it was before her announcement. Um, it adds a little drama, I guess, um, to, to when whatever they try to pass, but they weren't going to pass much legislation uh, next year and the year after anyway. anyway right. So, you know, she's going to get some headlines here, um, but. I don't think it changes very much for the Senate. You have to ask why she did it then. And I also look at it and go, um, it doesn't change the makeup of the majority. It doesn't change how they're going to pick, uh, you know, people to run. Well, she's not going to get a committee, but I, I, it, it, and she's said she's not going to, she won't caucus with the Republicans. Right. So there's, it, it's a difference that really makes little difference. Michael, you it, were going to pop in. I'm sorry. One thing I'll just add, it does, you know, her not caucusing with Republicans. It, it will mean that Democrats, unlike right now, have majorities in committees. So they, yes. they'll be able to move more legislation Now all of it's pretty much all of it's going to die on the, on the floor because they don't have 60 votes, but so it, it will matter for that. Uh, they might be able to move like judge nominees out of the judiciary committee a little quicker than, than they have now. There's a lot of negotiation that has to, to go with 50-50 with uh, committees. So the fact that she's not ca going to caucus with Republicans, it will help Democrats in committee, but mostly for nominations, I think. Yeah. Michael? What I understood was that this was all about 2024 in Arizona and that uh, progressives in Arizona w were threatening to primary her in the Democratic um, primary, um, and that she said, I'm not going to put myself in a position to be primaried. I'm going to run as an independent, essentially saying to the Democratic Party of Arizona, if you run a Democrat against me, I and that Democrat will split the vote and you'll end up with a Republican uh, re uh, senator. So take your choice. Do you want a Republican senator or you want to leave me alone? Um, and I thought that was what she was essentially you know, throwing down the gauntlet to the Democratic Party of Arizona, saying, you know, you have a choice. You can lose this seat or you can get behind me as an independent. But if you primary me, you can't now because I'm not, in, I'm not a Democrat. If you run against me, you lose the seat. So I think she's put herself in a 
powerful position within her own state with respect to her own reelection chances. And that's what I thought this was about. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any dispute about that. I just wonder how far thinking the Democrats were and she was for 2024. Um, and and John, you had uh, said something about where we're going. And, and I still think that this doesn't change the idea that for the next two years, we're going to be dealing about the only thing they're going to be able to do is get judges. And mm -hmm. I, I think that, and like you said, the committee makeup may change, but you're not going to have floor votes. You're going to be dealing with Hunter Biden's laptop for the next two years. I don't think that changes no. cinema switch. And so you have to wonder if all the machinations that we're going through is any more than high wind in the trees. It feels that way. I think Michael's right. This is about uh, 2024. Um, I can't think of, we talked about this here before. I can't think of very many um, matters that they're going to be able to uh, to write bills for that everybody can agree on or enough people can agree on. I don't think Kevin McCarthy, if he's speaker and he does not yet have no, don't, 218 don't votes. Um, so if Kevin McCarthy speaker, I don't think he's going to be that uh, excited about putting some bipartisan legislation on it on, on the house floor, just because the Senate passed it with, you know, 62 votes and, 12 Republicans joined all the Democrats in the Senate or something like that. Um, he's not going to, he's not going to be in a position to put those kinds of bills on the house floor and pass them with mostly democratic votes. So even if, even if legislation does get out of the Senate, just the environment in the house now with such a small Republican uh, majority and, and, and McCarthy can't lose very many people along the way, they'll, they'll force him out. Their conservatives will force him out. Uh, or wear him down, kind of like they did John Boehner, and he threw yeah. his hands up and flipped the keys to Paul Ryan and and zoomed out of town in the suburban as fast as he could. <laughs> could you know that could happen to McCarthy. Like Josh Hawley. <laughs> yeah, but what's going to happen the first time that McCarthy has to cut a spending deal with the White House and 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 Chuck Schumer? You know that's going to be that's going to be a real test. That'll that'll probably happen in 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 September October time of next year, and that's going to be a big test for McCarthy if he's speaker. Yeah, and I I think at the end of the day he'll 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 get worn down. The Marjorie Taylor Greens, the Boberts, they uh, the Louis Gomerts, uh, yeah, the Matt Gates. Until those people are out of office, they're going to ex uh, exert a lot of pressure um, on whoever is speaker. And I've okay. seen articles saying that you know, Marjorie Taylor Green is will be the de facto speaker because they <laughs> control the, which is a scary <laughs> proposition. From yeah. any point well, of view. You know, we'll see this time next year, Kevin McCarthy might walk into Studio A in the Capitol in the CVC singing zippity doo-dah, just <laughs> like John Boehner. You know, it it could happen. But this, you know, so, but no, I don't think they do very much. I think they'll do a farm bill in 2024 because everybody wants to go home and, and run on the farm bill. Uh, of course, they'll have to cut some spending deals. They'll have to deal with the debt ceiling maybe a china competition bill again in the next two years uh that that is something that has a lot of bipartisan support you know more money for the for the u.s semiconductor industry you know everybody's behind that it seems like for the most part and they'll do a defense policy bill the defense authorization act again this time next year they'll they'll wait and do it last minute again and that's about it i, I just don't see the environment isn't right for a lot of legislation to pass yeah, absolutely right. Final thoughts before we go to the break, and I think I want to go to the 
the prisoner exchange from from Russia to there's a lot of uh, there been a lot of criticism that Biden made a horrible deal uh, bringing home an athlete from the WNBA and turning loose a a major gun runner um, as the uh, White House defended it. Look, it was either bring one American home or bring no American homes. What do you want us to do? Not bring somebody home uh, as a defense. Uh, how does this actually your take on how it looks for the U.S., Michael? Well, it looks like we got one of our people <clears throat> home who effectively was a political prisoner. In, if you were a Russian citizen, uh, uh, found with the amount of um, marijuana in a vaping device that Brittany Griner was, you wouldn't go to jail for a decade or or, or to a penal colony. So she was a pawn. And um, the administration understood that and they did everything they could to get her home and they got her home. And I think good good for them for doing it. Now, the, the judge in the Bout case, Bout is the guy that they exchanged. He, he is a notorious um, arms merchant, but he was convicted in a sting operation uh, to be uh, accused of selling um, weapons to the um, FARC, the Colombian uh, terrorist organization. Uh, that's what he was convicted of. He's been in jail for a decade. And even the judge in that case said, you know, that's a fair fair amount of time for him to have served for, for a case that he, the judge said he would not have engaged in this conduct but for the sting. He got a 25-year sentence because the sentencing guidelines in effect at the time mandated it. The judge didn't have the discretion to go downward from it. And so it seems as if all the hype about this guy being the merchant of death, which may be true, but that's not what he was convicted of. Um, it turns out to be more or less a, 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 a fair deal. Um, and um, hopefully now they can turn to Wayland, the other um, person in jail and, and, and get get him out. What's well, interesting, which I don't know the answer to, and maybe you guys do, is why was it that Russia was interested in Bout? You know, why, why of all the people, I suppose he's not the only Russian national in U.S. jails, why why Bout? Um, but that's a question I don't know the answer to. And, and uh, that's a question that's been asked, not in the briefing room, however, because we don't ask questions of substance in the briefing room anymore. However, that's one of the things that I, I have asked is, is there a personal relationship with Putin? Is there is there some kind of relationship with higher ups in Russia that made him more attractive? But shifting to, and John, you can pick this up, but shifting to Paul Whelan, former Marine, corporate security executive, been detained in Russia on espionage charges. Uh, that his family and and the USA are bogus since 2018. So he's been there for a while. And the argument is that it was a horrible deal and we should have made sure that Whalen was part of it. Uh, John. That uh, Vladimir Putin was not going to go for a two for one swap. It, they, yeah. they, and there's little incentive for, for him to do that. He, that would make him look, uh, pretty weak and and one thing right now you know the the war in ukraine is really unpopular inside russia so you know he couldn't do that deal right now he's all about you know looking strong for his people um 
so so that deal that deal was never on the table you know the the right uh has made it sound the right here at, at home it has made it sound like that deal was somehow on a menu that that the biden folks did not and they didn't pick that item but that's just not how it works you have to also think about um yeah remember the, the they art of the possible us. with putin right now yeah they russia called us and said here right you want this guy we'll give you this this woman yeah i i think as long as as the swap makes some sense if you can get an american out of a russian penal camp you you probably do it and and it's you know president's a hard job and 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 i'm sure biden wanted a little more maybe he didn't want to give up mr bout uh right now but you got to make the tough call and and you know I, I think it's the right thing to do to to bring an american home if you can yeah and uh bottom line is you know remember uh whalen went in in 2018 and Trump never got him out. So, I mean, he had the opportunity and it didn't happen. So yeah. I, I find it uh, hip hypocritical at best to, uh, to blame Biden for that. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, the international story that simply has dominated our lives over the last week, stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, J-A-T-Q podcast. That's J-A-T-Q podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Question's newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast. Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. And of course, we have uh, to discuss John Bennett and Michael Zeldin and I have to discuss the most important international story of consequence in the last week or two. And and that's soccer. <laughs> so, I mean, there's no doubt that the rest of the world has stopped. You know, we play American football here and think that's the be all and end all, but out outside of the U S no, no, it's uh, it's, it's football is soccer. And here we are now in uh, looking at the quarterfinal rounds, England has gone down. Morocco is around Michael. You seem like a happy camper. <laughs> Well, I, I love watching uh, the World Cup. I have played soccer throughout my life in high school and in, and in college, and I accept it as the beautiful game uh, to behold, <laughs> even if most Americans don't like the absence of scoring. Um, <laughs> but of course, that's true of, of hockey, too. Um, but and what dating we had, in southern states. <laughs> right, what, what we have in this... Uh, historic World Cup, the first to be held in an Arab country, is the first Arab African continent country to make it to the semifinals with Morocco's stunning run through the uh, table to get to beat Portugal and, and Ronaldo and the, the, the that great team having already dispatched Belgium and, and, and Spain along the way. So it's a it's a Cinderella story of Cinderella stories because no one looks at the 
Moroccan team at the outset of this tournament who whose coach just came on in August and say, oh yeah, sure, you'll 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 go through defeating Spain, Belgium, and and Portugal, but they did, and there and there they are. And so on one hand, you've got this wonderful story of France taking on Morocco in the semifinals, um, you know, and uh, colony versus you know. Um, the colony of Morocco against France. And then on the other side, you um, have um, two sort of interesting stories. You've got Argentina with Lionel Messi, perhaps yeah. the greatest soccer player of, of our time, desperately trying to win the World Cup for, for Argentina. And he's on the doorstep of taking his team to the final. And so it's a great also... Cinderella story in a sense that Messi has been clobbered over the years for failures to take his team to the to the ultimate victory, and so you have that that possibility. The and then Bill Murray Cinderella story, <laughs> the right. young greenskeeper from nowhere about to become the Augusta <laughs> champion. You know, and then go ahead, go ahead. I was gonna say the, the one other sub story is. Of course, France beats England yeah. to get to the semifinals, <laughs> and poor, poor England, you know, just can't take it to the to the next level. Not, at least, not not since the mid nineteen sixties. Well, the Brits just can't reach it. But here's the thing: it, I looked at it, and John, you could probably, you know, as a an American football fan, I watched that Argentinian uh, Netherlands, and there were two days in the quarterfinals ended with one guy kicking a ball at, at a at a goalkeeper who you know desperately tried to guess which way that penalty kick was going to go and stop it and it it seemed like ending a, a a US football game by lining up kickers and kicking field goals it just doesn't seem right it just doesn't seem right well but, how how different is it than the hockey penalty shootout yes or or college football starting a drive on what do they started on in overtime the 25 yard line i mean yeah please you know if you want to say the the, the rules to end games are stupid and they just should play forever you know fine but these guys have already played 120 minutes yeah. one of the players yeah i want to see them fall down from exhaustion <laughs> well they calculated that one of the players on on the team who they like had one of those um apple step counter things on him ran 10 miles in in the course of of the game so and i say the, run 10 more they're young well, in, in, in the heat of uh cutter yeah yeah sure. that's, that's great idea. give him some water gatorade throw him back in there yeah, yeah, john yeah I, I think we can all agree that most overtime rules are Suck. very flawed but they're not you know they're they're designed to be as fair as possible while getting the game over with. Number one for player safety, but number two, and the World Cup now fits into this. It's all made for television. We got to move on, baby. We got other programming. Coming. <laughs> we pay for that programming too. So you know we've only got so many ads. We've only got so many trucks and beers and and bad insurance policies that we can sell. Okay, we're running out of commercials, so we got to go. Um, but yeah, college football, I'm not crazy about the overtime rules. Uh, we saw it yesterday, a great finish army Navy. Um, but I love how you pivoted through. there from soccer to, to right. college like football. Nicely done. I'm a professional. <laughs> uh, we, 
we we they they, they have to go for two if they score a touchdown after the start of the second right. overtime. I'm I'm not a big fan of that either. I mean, the penalty kicks are exciting in the World Cup, especially in the knockout round. I mean, you know, it doesn't get any bigger than that. Um, but at the same time, I I hear you, Brian, about is isn't there a better way to end this than than one guy kicking it and the goalie guessing and but I wasn't see like, I was I a goalkeeper so it it every time I see that go down I just go I know what's going through that goalie's head to yeah, left I or right <laughs> right but I wasn't a big fan of of when Navy fumbled on the on the goal line last night and then Army started at the twenty five it it you know these these overtime rules are just they're just wacky but. They serve a purpose. Can I just add the one thing? Um, yes, you may. To you, Brian Caraman, your your cynical view of the the penalty shootout. Yeah, if this was such a a foregone thing that some some oh, no. yeah. soccer player could kick it into the goal, you know, twelve feet from the net. Why is it some of the greatest players of the world keep missing these things? Yeah. The pressure, oh, yeah. That's pressure to make those the pressure to make those shots is so enormous. I mean, look at Harry Kane, the one who missed the, the the penalty kick that would have tied the game for England against France. I think he's missed three penalty kicks in his life. And here on the biggest stage, kicks it right over the top of the goal because he understood that the goalie was guessing where he was going to guess correctly, where he was going to kick it. And he had a change sort of like mid stride and he kicked it over. This is a high pressure activity kicking a penalty kick and so oh i agree the game ending the game on sort of the highest pressure activity in the course of um professional uh soccer it's not so bad really well i once you know uh i'll go back it's to not me. like kicking a field goal no it's, it's not like not, kicking okay. a field goal it's not like <laughs> kicking a point after if they were kicking it you know if they were there was it, a goalie standing between the well, goalposts who could knock it down then yes but yeah, there were, i'm gonna go with jim bowden and and ball four. <laughs> and Jim Bowden said the single hardest thing in sports is to pitch the ball. The second single hardest thing in sports is to hit the ball in baseball. I think in the penalty kick situation, the single hardest thing to do is to stop that kick. And the second single hardest thing to do is to place that kick. But I feel that as a goalkeeper, the tension that goalkeeper feels when that when that ball is lined up 12 feet from him and he's got an instant to react and you feel so damn foolish when you guess going the wrong way or you guess the right way and it just goes past your outstretched hands. That's the most frustrating feeling in sports. Can't we end it an easier way? Just just, just let him trade punches or something. I don't know. <laughs> well, all I know is that Tuesday and Wednesday's games, uh, Morocco, France, Croatia, which is a, another sort of wonderful story of yep. uh, of a small country going going this far, um, uh, will be great games. And, and and look, you've got France and Argentina, the defending world champion in France, and Argentina, a perennial great team against Croatia and Morocco. You know, great stuff. You can't script. Well, I was. Um... I was um, amused yesterday uh, near the end of the um, uh, the first game yesterday. Um, who was that? I forget already. 
Anyway, and uh, there was extra that was the, time. That was the that was the that was the Morocco game. Yeah, right. at the end of the Morocco game, uh, they you know they had extra time added on, and then there was an, an injury. Somebody cramped up, and uh, the analyst on the Fox broadcast said, uh, "We should go over." 100 total minutes in this game if this is being done properly and i stopped what i was doing and yelled at my tv this is fifa pal there's nothing proper about this okay <laughs> i thought that was um that was you know, great moments in announcing he's he's so caught up in the game and he's there and uh just maybe uh maybe a little more situational awareness about what's really going on here well i i'll bottom line it this way I've never seen, I mean, even at the White House, there were people, you know, uh, you know, the the uh, place upstairs at the back of the briefing room where all the mm-hmm. cameras, there, there were people sitting there watching this. I've never oh, yeah. seen that, you know, uh, the, the attention to the World Cup this year, I think, is some of the greatest that's ever happened in the States. And there were, what's funny is there's a delay in broadcast upstairs. And then, you know, Martha, who has the TV downstairs. So there was the group in the basement. Yeah of the uh, of the uh white house press office of the press uh people and were watching it and then upstairs watching it and the upstairs got the feed before the downstairs so they'd hear the cheer during the penalty kicks and, and <laughs> there were people going damn before we even saw it downstairs so that that was kind of amusing to me <laughs> michael you, i know I, I i you had something to add no no i i just have to say that when i started it's the it's the greatest sporting tournament on earth, and it does include everybody pretty much. You know, it does include it includes yeah. everybody. Yeah, yeah. Which it's is not kinda... like the World Series of baseball or the Super Bowl of football. It may be the those are the Major League Baseball in the United States and National Football League may be the best leagues, but they're played by a pittance of the world population sporting population compared to who plays and watches in the world cup and, and to get Croatia in it. And of course, uh, France and Argentina well, that will be interesting to see. Yeah. Anyway, guys, it's been a lot of fun. We're going to, we're going to take off for, uh, we've got a couple of special shows coming up towards the end of the year, a Christmas retrospective, and then looking forward to 2023, so stick around for those shows coming up in the next few weeks. Uh, and next week, as usual, we'll have the same fun and frivolity we usually have here. So stick around. The show is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. Thanks once again to John Bennett from CQ Roll Call. You can read his columns every week. And Michael will let you make a pitch for your podcast as well. It's called That Said with Michael Zeldin and all, spod, uh, all podcast apps on all pod and it has to deal with books and writing so and it's a great podcast if you haven't listened to it please do then uh i'm brian karam this is just ask the question thanks for joining us and we'll catch you next time